You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. All right, turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're kicking off a brand new series tonight. We're going verse by verse through the book of Galatians. I would highly encourage you sometime over the next seven days, read through the book of Galatians. It's good stuff. Uh, Tonight, we're going to talk about the why uh, behind Galatians, why uh, we have the book of Galatians, what the purpose behind it was, and why it's so incredibly important to us. The book of Galatians is is fairly short. I'd encourage you to, you could read through it uh, all in one sitting if you chose to, uh, and I'd highly encourage you to to do that at some point. Uh, The book of Galatians is right for the book of Ephesians in your Bible. We're starting Galatians chapter 1, verse number 1. Galatians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all brethren which were with me unto the churches of Galatia. Now, the book of Galatians is a unique uh, book in the fact that it was not written to one particular specific church. Uh, Galatians was written to a group of churches in the Galatian region, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. These are just the ones that we know of for sure, uh, but those are the, the churches that we know that Paul went by, uh, either started or helped start in the book of Acts, so we find on his missionary journeys. And so as he writes to the churches at Galatia, this is unique because we, we took a look at First and Second Corinthians. That was written to the church at Corinth, one church. Now, we, we have reason to believe that those letters got passed around to other churches, uh, but in this case here, Paul is writing to a group of churches, uh, not one church in particular. So the idea with, of this would be he would send the letter to a church, uh, whether it be the church at Antioch, and then when they were done reading it, they might pass it off to the church at Lystra. When they were done reading it, they'd pass it off to the church at Iconium, uh, and, and so forth. So he's not writing to one specific church uh, in particular. Uh, most Bible scholars believe it was probably written somewhere in the late 40s to early 50s AD, just to kind of give you a, a time frame here. Now, mind you, Christ was crucified somewhere in the ballpark of 30 to 35 AD, we would say. And so Christianity at this point is in its infancy stages, uh, l- less than probably 10 years old at this point, this idea of Christianity. And so Paul, as he writes, really is laying the groundwork for what you and I would know as the Christian faith. Primary reason for Paul writing the the book of Galatians was to combat false doctrine. It's really important that we know the why behind New Testament writings. Now, the the Old Testament is primarily going to be history. Uh, There's going to be some prophecy in there, uh, and it's important to know the why behind that. This is why I highly recommend that every Christian own a good study Bible. Uh, It's good if you want to use your phone in church. It's good if you want to uh, have a a pocket Bible or something like that that you want to bring with you. I highly encourage every Christian to own a study Bible uh, because it tells you uh, in the front of every single chapter who wrote it, what the time frame was when they wrote, wrote it, why they wrote it, a brief outline behind it, major themes of that particular book. And it helps you to dig in a little bit deeper. If you know the story behind why someone's saying what they're saying, it gives it more context and can help us appreciate the Word of God better. Uh, We do have some uh, study Bibles back in our uh, uh, bookstore area that we have here. Two uh, uh, study Bibles I would highly recommend. My favorite of all time would probably be the Life Application Study Bible. 
Uh, it's, a, it's a thick Bible because it's, there's a lot of commentary in it. The top half of the page is gonna be what the Bible says. The bottom half is what the Bible says and how it applies to you today. Not what it meant a thousand years ago, but what it means to you today and how you apply that to your life. Very, very applicable. In addition to that, it's gonna have a lot of really good cross-references and commentaries and things along those lines. Uh, the other one that I would recommend is uh, the Ryrie Study Bible. We have, have one of those uh, in our bookstore as well. Again, 50 to $60, these, these Bibles are gonna cost, but this is an investment in your spiritual growth for the rest of your life. Uh, I bought Angela a, uh, a study Bible when we were baby, baby Christians. We were newly married, and she's had it for 18-plus years. Uh, for me, I'm kind of a Bible collector. I've got a, a 101 different Bibles uh, that I have. But the two that I always come back to that I highly recommend to people are the Life Application Study Bible and the Ryrie Study Bible. This tells you the why behind it. It's important to understand what Paul's writing about as he writes to the church at Galatia here. Uh, the, the primary uh, doctrine that he was uh, fighting for was the doctrine of the, the sufficiency of the gospel. As we look at this uh, passage of scripture and as we look over Galatians over the next several months, we'll see uh, that some people saw Christianity kind of as an add-on to Judaism. Uh, they would basically say, hey, this whole following Jesus thing, it's just an add-on to what we already have in the Old Testament. And so if you wanna be a follower of Jesus, that's great, but you have to become a Jew first. And you become a Jew by fulfilling the Levitical law. So we're gonna go back to the book of Leviticus and we're gonna make sure that everyone follows the law. All of the, the males that are Gentiles, if you wanna be a follower of Jesus, you have to be circumcised in accordance with the Levitical law. And you have to be a Jew first and then you can do this whole following Jesus thing on top of it. So they were adding to the work of the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus Christ is sufficient for our salvation. They say, Jesus is partly sufficient, but you have to fulfill all the law as well and add that onto what you currently have through Jesus. And Paul puts a rest to that. You see, Christianity is not an add-on to Judaism. Christianity is a fulfillment of Judaism. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and get rid of it. I came to fulfill the law instead. Christianity uh, doesn't abolish Judaism. It fulfills it. Hey, everything that Judaism was looking forward to is now present in Christ, the Messiah, who has now come for us. You see, the Levitical law said, we're gonna take an animal once a year, we're gonna slit its throat and bleed out its blood over the altar to cover the sins of the people as a picture of the covering of our sins. The gospel says, Christianity says, Jesus Christ bled out on the cross as the righteous, holy lamb of God to cover the sins of the world, pay for the sins of the world, and he is now the fulfillment of that lamb that was offered on the day of atonement. Jesus Christ fulfills that. And Christianity is a, is a fulfillment of Judaism. Unfortunately, Orthodox Jews still wait for the Messiah. Uh, they still are waiting for the Messiah to come. They reject Christ as the Messiah to this day. John says that for us in John chapter one, he came into his own and his own received him not. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. So Orthodox Jews to this day are still waiting for the Messiah to come. They expect him to come as a military leader who will take over the throne of their father, David, and will rule in Israel. And they're waiting for the Messiah to come. It's disappointing because the Messiah has already come. Now, the good news is, is there are Jewish brethren that believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We would call those Messianic Jews. They say Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecy. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Savior. He is Messiah. We recognize him as such. Yet they still maintain their Jewish heritage for heritage purposes only. 
Uh, they will still keep some of the same feasts. They will still keep some of the same dress uh, that the Jews do, but they would call themselves Messianic Jews. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, they have been saved by Christ and Christ alone and maintain some of their Jewish customs and traditions as a part of their uh, ethnic heritage. Jews who reject Christ as Messiah are not our brothers in Christ. They're lost. They need to be saved. You say, well, I thought they were God's chosen people. They are, and God has allowed them to be spared from much that's taken place in the Middle East. But don't mistake the fact that Christ alone is the only way that anyone can be saved. It's the only hope that we have. And so these folks had come into the church, these churches in Galatia and propagated a false doctrine. And sometimes these folks are called Judaizers. Judaizers would be a section of Jewish Christians who regarded the Old Testament Levitical laws as still binding on all Christians. They tried to enforce such practices as circumcision and the distinction between clean and unclean meats and things along those lines. So these Judaizers had came into the church to say, hey, following Jesus is great, but you gotta make sure that you, you keep the law as well. Hey, following Jesus is great, but you, you're not allowed to eat certain types of food because the Bible says that you can't. The law says that you can't. I don't know about you, but somebody tries to come into this church and take away my bacon, we're gonna have problems, right? They said, no, 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 the, 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 the pig, it's an unclean animal, you can't eat that. And the good news is Jesus Christ died on the cross and fulfilled the, the law so that everybody can have bacon and pepperoni pizza. That's a good thing, right? Amen to that. Judaizer says, nope, can't do it. You still have to keep the law plus Jesus. And friend, let me help you with this before we ever even get started tonight. Jesus plus anything never works. The only hope that we have for salvation is Jesus and Jesus alone. When we begin to add other things that are necessary to receive salvation other than Christ alone, we run into false doctrine. That's why, first of all, as we uh, look at this passage, we must fiercely protect the integrity of the gospel. Paul was serious as he wrote this letter to these folks. It was something that was near and dear to his heart. <laughs> it's interesting, as you read through Paul's letters, every letter that he writes to the church, he starts with his greeting. Hey, I'm Paul, an apostle chosen by Jesus Christ himself. Hey, I'm Paul, your brother. Hey, I'm Paul. And he always has a word of commendation to these churches. He had never been to the church at Rome, but Romans starts out and Paul says, hey, I've heard a lot of really good stuff about you and I'm looking forward to coming to see you one of these days. He writes the church at Corinth. Mind you, we saw how wretched Corinth was. And he says, guys, here's some really good redeeming qualities that you have, but there's some other stuff that you gotta fix. The book of Galatians, interestingly enough, is the only letter that Paul wrote to a church that he never gives a single solitary word of commendation to them. He doesn't say, hey guys, you're tearing it up, great job, keep doing it. He just lays into them straight away and he never lets up until the very end. No word of commendation. He said, well, that's kind of harsh. They had messed with the critical doctrine of all of Christianity, that Jesus Christ is enough to save us from our sins. You start to mess with that, we've got serious problems everywhere else. Now, there are certain things in the Bible that we can agree to disagree on. Some folks have disagreed when the, uh, the millennial kingdom will be or when the rapture will take place and uh, pre-trib versus post-trib versus mid-trib, uh, pre-millennial, amillennial, post-millennial, and things like that. And good Christians can disagree on that. Good Christians can disagree on things like Bible translations or Bible versions. You prefer this one, I prefer that one. We can just agree to disagree on that. 
But there are certain things that are just non-negotiable. You believe that you have to be baptized to go to heaven. We're not brothers in Christ. You believe a false gospel. You believe that, uh, I don't know, say for example, Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. You are not a brother in Christ. You are not a Christian. You are a heretic. You've denied the faith in this case here. You wanna disagree that Jesus Christ was perfectly sinless? <laughs> We've got a problem. I've heard people say things before like, well, you know, he was just a man, so he probably made some mistakes that he wasn't proud of. Oh, friend, you're not a brother in Christ, you're a heretic. Because Jesus Christ was the sinless son of God. And if Jesus Christ sinned, he could not be God. If Jesus Christ was not God, he could not die for our sins. If he could not die for our sins, you and I are toast. And we should just pack up and go home and live this life for what it's got because everlasting wrath and judgment is coming. So there's certain things that we just can't budge on. We can't negotiate on. So we must fiercely protect the integrity of the gospel. You see, a misunderstanding of the Bible pollutes the gospel. This is where we get into religions that believe in false doctrine as far as works are concerned that good works are required to take us to heaven because it's a misunderstanding of what the Bible actually says. A misunderstanding of the Bible begins to pollute the gospel by making eternal life just another religious system that we have to go through. So I've entitled this series that we're going through of the book of Galatians, Only Jesus. Because every single religion in the world, without exception, says, do this, do this, do this, and do this, and if you check off all the boxes, maybe you'll make it to eternal bliss and, and eternal life and whatever is out there. Every single religion in the world, with the exception of Christianity. Christianity says you have to do nothing whatsoever. Actually, your works don't help, they actually hurt because all the work has been done for you. It's not do, 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 it's done. Jesus Christ has done everything that there is to be done. The only thing that God needs from you is your faith and your repentance. That's the only thing you can bring to the table. When I begin to bring my own works to the gospel, the gospel is no longer the gospel because the gospel is a message of grace, undeserved favor, unmerited favor. I haven't done anything to deserve it. I could earn it if I wanted to. And a misunderstanding of the gospel Misunderstanding of the Bible pollutes the gospel. Misunderstanding of righteous works begins to dilute the gospel. If I begin to think that my works will earn me a way to heaven, I've misunderstood the gospel and exactly what that means. If I believe that God loves me because I'm a good person, God loves me because I read my Bible today, God loves me because I came to church today, twice, God loves me because I'm a good dude. That, that simple mindset pollutes the message of the gospel. Here's the fact of the matter. God loves you unconditionally despite the fact that you are a sinful wretch before God. He loves you anyways. And there is nothing in you that God finds attractive because of your works. God loves you unconditionally. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't do things to please God? No, no, not at all. You misunderstood that. I'm saying that God doesn't love me because I'm lovable. God loves me unconditionally because he's God. I want to live my life every single day to please my heavenly father. 
I want to worship together with a community of believers because I know that gives my God glory. I want to live my life in a right way because I know that gives my God glory. I want to read his word, not so that I can earn points with him, but so that I can know him more, so that I can serve him more, so I can please him more. But not so that he can love me more. he's, he's, He's topped out on his love for me. But when we get this idea that God loves me because I'm a good person, we've begun to distort the very message of the gospel. You see, we must live in the grace of God. Paul says in verse number three, grace be to you. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. This is where we want to live. I'm not a perfect man, but I want to please my heavenly father. And when I fall, grace is there to pick me up, dust me off, and send me on my way. Grace is not there to be abused. Grace is not my license to sin. Grace is God's strength in me to allow me to walk the road together with him. The Christian life is not possible on your own power. You're not good enough to just kind of work it up every day and and get out there and get after it. You need a power inside of you, and that's the Holy Spirit inside of you that allows you to do the work for God by the grace of God. I sometimes explain that grace is like a road that we travel together. And there's two enemies of grace that want to get you off track. The first of those is what I what what's sometimes referred to as antinomianism. That's a really big theological doctrinal word that means no law. Antinomianism. Uh, that's going to be on, if this is grace and this is the, uh, the road here, the ditch on the left-hand side of the road is antinomianism. Antinomianism is simply this. I can live ever how I want to because God's going to forgive me anyways. That's an abuse of the grace of God. Well, I can sin as much as I want and God's grace just always covers it. The word antinomian means no law. There's no restraints whatsoever. I don't have to follow any rules because God just loves me the way that I am. If I want to curse, I want to uh, watch ugly movies, I want to look at pornography, I want to be foul and vile, I can do all those things because God just knows I'm just a a, a sinner saved by grace. I'm just going to keep living in his grace and I can live ever how I want to. Friend, that's an abuse of God's grace. And if you think you can just sin and live ever how you want to, you need to read the Bible. Romans chapter 6 is where you'll find it. Keep, keep your finger here in uh, Galatians. We're going to come back and say, but flip back if you would to Romans chapter uh, 6. I want you to see this. Actually, back up to Romans chapter 5, verse number 20. Romans 5, 20 is a beautiful verse. Beautiful verse. Romans 5, 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, God gave us his law so we'd realize how sinful we truly were. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know what God's saying to you there? If your sin is right here, God's grace will always be right here. And if you sin more than one could ever possibly imagine that one could ever sin in their lifetime, and your sin is like way up here, God's grace always covers that, always. You cannot out-sin the grace of God. But don't try to. So you can imagine people are scratching their head going, wow, if I've got a little sin, God's grace covers that. But if I've got like a lot of sin, God's grace still covers that too. What a sweet deal. <laughs> yeah, Romans chapter six, verse number one. So 
What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What is the next two words there? God forbid. Stop it. He's like, don't even think like that. I know that's what you thought when I said that. So I want to clarify. Shall we continue in sin that God's grace just keeps covering up our sin? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You can't do it that way. And if I continue in my sin again and again and again and again and again and just hope that God's grace will cover it, friend, you misunderstood God's grace. And I would even submit to this. If someone makes a lifestyle out of sinning against the grace of God, you might need to check whether or not you've ever actually received the grace of God and are actually saved. And you say, well, that's pretty harsh, Pastor. Hey, I didn't write it, I just recited it. The Bible says that whoremongers and adulterers and liars will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's your, your MO, that's how you live your life and just expect God's grace to cover it, you might need to check your heart and see whether or not you're actually saved. But antinomianism is an enemy of the grace of God. So on one side, you say, there is no law. Live ever how you want to. God's grace just automatically covers it. Antinomianism is an enemy of God's grace. But on the other side of the ditch, on the other side of grace, we have what we would refer to as legalism. Legalism on the other side says, God doesn't love you unless you keep this really long list of rules that we have here. And legalism is also an enemy of God's grace. Legalism says this, if you don't read your Bible, God doesn't love you. If you don't come to church, God doesn't love you. If you didn't read your Bible this morning and pray before you came to church, you might not even be saved. And you're like, wait, what? Legalism says you should dress a certain way. Legalism says you should listen to a certain type of music. A legalism says you've got this big, long list of rules that one needs to check off to make sure that you are a good Christian, that God loves you, and that you're even saved. And legalism robs from the grace of God by adding rules to this list. The Judaizers were legalists. Yeah, good thing you got saved and are following Jesus now. Let me introduce you to my good friend, the law. Let me tell you now that you've found Jesus Christ, let me give you all these rules and regulations that you're required to follow, otherwise you're not really a follower of Jesus after all. If you're a man, you gotta be circumcised. If you're, everyone needs to keep the dietary laws. Everybody needs to keep special feast days and special holy days that we have. Everybody needs to worship at the temple in addition to uh, gathering together as a church to worship here. And, and Paul's like, hey, stop, not gonna happen. No, the only thing that we need is Jesus and Jesus alone, he has fulfilled the law. So, Keep in mind, antinomianism and legalism are alive and well in our society today. I have heard with my own ears, I've sat in church services before and heard pastors use foul language from the pulpit. And I'm scratching my head going, you're kidding me. This is disgusting. I've heard pastors make vile, crude sexual jokes from the pulpit. I don't get it. Hey, I realize I'm not that old, but I always grew up thinking that this was a holy place to stand to stand in the place of God. I thought Peter said, if any man let him speak, let him speak as the oracles of God in God's place. And I don't really think that's the way that God would be talking if he had the mic tonight. And this idea that, well, just God loves you the way you are. And in society today, especially the American church, we've so uh, consumerized the American church that it's just a come as you are, stay as you are. 
Now, friend, let me help you with something tonight. If you come to who we call a Baptist church, every single person on planet Earth, if you have a pulse, you're welcome here. Come as you are. But friend, we cannot stay as we are. I can't stay the way that I am. I have to change. That's the whole purpose of the gospel is that it changes us from the inside out. So the idea that we can come as we are, stay as we are, is not a biblical concept at all. Everyone can come as you are. But friend, all of us have to change. All of us. See, antinomianism is alive and well in, in what we would call the church today and the fact that they say, hey, come as you are, stay as you are. Live ever how you want to. Doesn't even matter. God loves us. All of our scars and cuts and scrapes and bruises, he loves us just the way we are. That's a true statement, but he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. God loves you far too much to leave you in your pit of sin. He wants you to change because he loves you. But then on the flip side, you have folks who say, well, if you don't follow our list of rules and regulations that we got here, you're not really a Christian. There's some folks I was talking to uh, several uh, uh, weeks ago. They had attended a church, not here in Hawaii, but a church they had attended before. And the pastor had preached a series called Good, Better, Best. And it basically worked out like this. If you're a good Christian, then you'll wear a polo shirt to church. If you're a better Christian, you'll wear a shirt and a tie to church. If you're the best Christian, you'll wear a jacket with your shirt and tie to church. And I go, stop it. He did not. I go, oh, yeah. And if you're a lady, you'll wear a skirt to church. Good, better, skirt past your knees. Best, skirt all the way down to your ankles with pantyhose. And it's just like, stop it. Yeah. Wow. He's like, this is a pastor who went off the rails, and if you let your kids watch the Veggie Tales, you might as well be watching, let them watch MTV and all this. It's like, watch the Veggie Tales, like Boys in the Sink. Some of you should look that up in, on YouTube. It'll help you. Boys in the Sink. Uh, but it's just like, look, hey, and look, I realized that that. Two weeks ago, I went off on a Sunday morning about some of the garbage that's on Christian radio, but it's because it was in doctrinal error. Paul would stand for doctrinal error. Look, if, if vegetables want to teach my kids a Bible story, I'm okay with that. But again, the idea is not that we'd have a list of rules that we have to meet. Hey, I'll give you some guidelines to follow. It's called the Bible. Simple as that. Now, the Bible's gonna have biblical principles in it that I think we can gather from it. I think when the Bible says, I'll set no wicked thing before mine eye, I think it means that, that Christians probably shouldn't watch movies that a bunch of unsaved dudes in Hollywood have figured out has a lot of cursing, a lot of violence, a lot of sexual activity, a lot of nudity that children shouldn't watch, only for adults. I think if a bunch of unsaved dudes can figure that, I can apply the principle, I'll set no wicked thing before mine eye to that, and there's a good biblical principle there. But hey, here's the thing. If you decide that you wanna watch R-rated movies, you know who stands before God for that? You do, I don't. And if, if you decide that that's what you want to do for yourself or for your family, at the end of the day, you stand before God before that, I don't. I'm not going to call into question whether or not you're saved or whether you're a Christian. Now, when you clearly violate Scripture, I'm going to call into question whether or not you are willing to live and abide by what the Bible says. But it's not a list of rules that we have here. We don't have a list of rules that our church members have to follow. 
we get folks that want to be church members, we give them like a 28-page document of our church constitution and bylaws. There's not a single rule in there other than you'll live like a Christian according to what the Bible says. Simple as that. The idea that we ever have to add anything to salvation only dilutes the gospel. And Paul was standing vehemently against anyone who would add to the gospel. Go back to Galatians chapter one, if you would. Paul, as he writes this letter to the churches at Galatia, knew that he would face opposition from these Judaizers. He knew that there were people in the church that would want to uh, cast aspersion on who he was. We saw in 2 Corinthians that there were people who would actually try to attack and assassinate Paul's character, saying Paul's just in it for the money. Paul just wants to see what he can get out of it. Paul's just living for himself. Paul just wants to lord over you. And so Paul starts out Galatians chapter number one. Paul, an apostle. This part's in parentheses in, in my Bible not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Smiley face. You have a smiley face at the end of the verse there? I do. I love what Paul's saying though. I'm an apostle because Jesus made me an apostle. I'm not an apostle of men, by men, for men. You don't get to say who I am. You don't get to identify me. That tells me that this, we must find our identity in who God says that we are. And friend, just let me tell you, when somebody at work, somebody on your street or a neighbor, somebody like that says to you, well, you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, of course I got the Holy Spirit because Romans chapter five says, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. Oh, who are you, Mr. Theologian now? Oh, you think you're smarter than everybody now? Oh, I didn't know you knew your Bible. It's like, hey, you know what? I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just going by what the Bible says. Romans 8, Paul says that. If you man have not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. Hey, I'm not looking for your validation here. I don't need your stamp of approval on my Christianity. I need the Lord's. Paul says here, I'm not an apostle of men. A bunch of guys didn't get together and vote me in as an apostle. And you know what? I'm not by men in the fact that I work for them. I work for the Lord. The Lord made me an apostle. I work for him. And we find our identity in who God says that we are. And if you're a child of God, don't let anybody ever try to take that away from you. Because the Bible says, I'm adopted into the family of God. To them that believed on the name of the Son of God, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. I'm a child of God and you can't take that away from me. Well, do you believe in this? Do you believe in that? Oh man, don't even get me started. I had somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago say to me, well, I, don't, I heard Baptists don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Really? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Who told you that? Oh, somebody just told me Baptists don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Is that, is that true? Do you guys believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes, we do. We believe that the Holy Spirit's job is to make us holy. We believe the Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus. We believe the Holy Spirit's job is to remind us of everything that Jesus said. We believe it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict men of sin. We believe it's the Holy Spirit's job to pray on our behalf when we don't have the words to pray to God. And we believe the Holy Spirit of God was given to us to empower our witness, according to Acts chapter one, verse number eight. So actually, we believe a lot about the Holy Spirit. And I knew where they were getting at with that. 
do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, we do, but we believe the Holy Spirit works in other mysterious ways too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we don't believe that because of X, Y, and Z from the Bible. Well, well I, I would disagree with that. But do you agree that the Holy Spirit's primary job is to point us to Christ? No, we don't believe that. Then you should read your Bible. Jesus' most lengthy exposition that he gave on the Holy Spirit, John 14, 15, and 16. He talks all about it. But oftentimes people who want to claim monopoly on the Holy Spirit just want to go to Acts chapter 1 and 2. You're missing the point. Holy Spirit's job, he, the Bible says in John 16, the Holy Spirit's not going to speak of himself, he's going to speak of me. He's not going to shine the light on himself, he's going to shine the light on Jesus instead. So again, we have to ask ourselves, if we're a part of a church that takes the focus off of Jesus and puts it on the Holy Spirit, we've got things backwards according to Jesus himself. It's heavy stuff, folks. So don't tell me I don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me I'm not spirit-led because I know who God says that I am and I know what his word says. You see, the object of my affection is God alone, not the praise of men. Paul knew exactly what he was writing would be incredibly unpopular with people who claim to be Christians. But you know what? He wasn't trying to win a popularity contest. And friend, just let me help you with this. If you decide you want to be a sold out child of God, you will not be at the top of the popularity list and everything. And that's okay. I would much rather be found favorable in my father's eyes than the knuckleheads that I used to work with any day of the week. I'd rather God to look at me and give me a thumbs up of approval than to have my accolades from friends, family members, neighbors. And friend, let me just tell you this. If you decide to go all in and walk with Jesus every single day, people are gonna say, well, you don't really have to take it that far, do you? <laughs> oh, I'm taking it way far. I had a, a family member one time says, uh, oh, we should totally watch this movie. Oh, we, we just ran this movie at Redbox. We should totally watch it over our house. I said, yeah, our family doesn't watch R.A. movies. Oh, please. Well, you know your kids one of these days are gonna grow up and do that, right? You might as well let them do it now. I hope that they won't because I hope I've taught them that they wanna please the Lord, not please their friends or please you. Oh, you think you're better than us? No, never said that. I don't stand before the Lord for what you do. I stand before the Lord for what I do and what my family does. And I want to take that seriously. But you know what? At the end of the day, I'm not looking to be popular. I'm looking to be faithful. <laughs> Friend, this is why the church is so important. Because you're surrounded by a group of people tonight who really want to go the same direction that you do. Who really want to grow in their faith. Who really want to live a, a legitimate Christian life. Not just a Sunday morning Christianity, the real deal. Hey, most of the folks in this room are here for the second time on Sunday. That should say something. I want to be around people like that. Because the rest of the week, I'm going to be around people who are trying to tear down and mock my faith. I live in a society today that, that you and I are considered hate mongers because we want to pray in the name of Jesus. I want to be around people who encourage my faith. Where people can say, hey, good on it, man. Stay after it. Hey, pray for my coworker. I'm, I'm trying to get her to church. Good for you. I want to pray for her this week. I need that encouragement, and you do too. <laughs> Paul also tells us through this letter, sound doctrine is worth taking a stand for. The Bible's worth defending. It's worth taking a stand for. 
we were a pretty young church. I still think we're a young church. I mean, we're only five years old. We were like probably six months old or so. And my wife had uh, gone to her hairdresser and, and, and we, every single person in our lives that we sit around for more than 10 minutes, we're gonna try to talk to about Jesus and get them to church. And so my wife was sitting down with the hairdresser, talking with the hairdresser about things about the Lord. And her hairdresser said, well, tell me about your church. She said, we're a new church. We've got young folks in our church. And, uh, you know, we're just getting started. You know, it's just a handful of us, maybe a couple of dozen or so. They're just meeting together and just trying to worship the Lord and stuff like that. And she said, well, what makes your church different than other churches? And my wife says, well, we, we take a pretty serious uh, stand on the Bible, what it says. And so the hairdresser is, is, is working on her hair, whatever they do, working on hair. Uh, and she says, uh, so would your church be considered conservative or liberal? And Angela thought, sat there for a minute, and, I, and when she told me she said this, I go, ooh, I'm gonna steal that, that's good. She said, we are very, con- uh, very conservative when it comes to doctrine, and we are very liberal when it comes to grace. And I thought, ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. Oh, my soul, that's good. Hey, when it comes to the Bible, we're not gonna bend at all, none. We believe that when the Bible says that one of the qualifications of a pastor is that he be the husband of one wife, we really believe that that's what the Bible means. And if you're not the husband of one wife, you're not qualified to pastor. Well, I know this lady, she could preach your socks off. I know a lot of ladies that could preach my socks off. It doesn't make it biblical. Bible says that qualifications of a pastor, they're right there in scripture. We're not gonna violate that. The Bible's clear, clear cut. Somebody comes in here and says, I believe there's another way to heaven. I believe you're wrong. I, well, they're really sincere about their belief. They're sincerely wrong then. Because I believe the Bible cover to cover, every single word of it is inspired and errant by the word of God, not the words of God, the thoughts of God, the word of God. Finished, over and done with, don't add to it, don't take away from it, the word of God, simple as that. And if what you say is in opposition to the Bible, you're against God and I'm on God's side every time. Well, that's not popular in our society today. I'm not trying to be popular. Try to be biblical. And you will never, ever go wrong if you just stick with the Bible, 100% of the time. And sound doctrines worth taking a stand for. There's, there's pastors that no longer want to have lunch with me because we differ on doctrine. I'm okay with that. There are people who say, well, you know, I want to go to a church where I can freely express my spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gift of giving? Is that the gift you want to freely express? That would be great for you to express that here. No. I want to go to a church where, you know, the pastor doesn't talk about hell every week. That concerns me. Again, we're not a, a you know, bang the pulpit, you know, ring the bell every week. But I want people to know if you die in your sin without Jesus, you're separated from God forever in a place called hell. I want you to know that. I don't want to give you a high five on your way to hell and tell you, send you on your way and give you three tips for a happy life. I'm not doing you a favor. Well, that's not very popular. I'm trying to be popular, biblical. Final thought, we have to protect the gospel at all costs. Period, end of story. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ died for sinners and he is the only hope that you have for eternal life. That's the nutshell of it. Jesus Christ 
died for sinners, and he's the only hope that you have for eternal life. You've sinned against God. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. We'll be separated from God forever because of our sin. But Jesus came, died in our place because of God's love for us, and he shed his blood on the cross as payment for my sin and yours. You just have to accept it. That's the gospel. And I will fight to the death to protect that message. Because every false religion in this city says, yeah, that's good, Jesus and all, but you also need to be baptized. Jesus, that's good and all, but you also have to come to church. Jesus, that's good and all, but you have to take communion. Jesus, that's great, but you have to be baptized in our church and be a faithful member of our church to go to heaven. Or you have to make sure that you're a really good dude up until the time that you die, and then hopefully you'll make it to heaven. Nope. Simple as that. Jesus, and that's it. And this must be a church that loves the gospel so much that we protect it at all costs. I've, uh, I have a love-hate relationship with, with social media, but on Facebook, I'm a member of these different groups that uh, you know, talk about churches and church assimilation and uh, things like that. And, um, and so sometimes people send me messages and ask questions about our church and stuff like that. I got an email from a guy uh, who, uh, he had attended our church once and he saw me on Facebook and he wanted to send me a message. He says, hey, uh, I'm a member of this church uh, and uh, I, I'm really burdened for the gospel and for our city. I wanna see people saved. He said, but my pastor never preaches the gospel, like ever. He said, someone could not get saved in our church if they wanted to. So I went to the pastor and I said, I'm really burdened. I'm not telling you what you need to preach or how you need to preach it. I just think we need to make the gospel available to people so that they can respond to the message of the gospel. And he said, my pastor told me, if people hear sin, hell, or change, they will leave and they'll never come back. So to keep people here and to keep the lights on, we'll just have to keep that message on the back burner. I told this dude, you need to leave your church. I don't know you, I don't know your pastor, but if what you say is true, and those words came out of a guy's mouth who calls himself a pastor, you need to leave your church immediately. And he said, there's no other churches to go to. Then you, my friend, get to start a church. Simple as that. Your church, is, your church is no longer a church because it has forsaken the mission that Jesus gave to his church to go, win, baptize, and teach. If you're not willing to do that and you're willing to high-five people on the way to hell, you can't be a part of that. You can't. You need to pack up your stuff, get your family out, and start a church. And he says, I don't know that I'm ready to start a church. Well, your city's ready to have a gospel-preaching church in it. I'll tell you that much for sure. And so he says, I don't know what we're gonna do. He said, but we're gonna try to figure this thing out. But we gotta leave our church. Good for you. Because this message, it's too important. <laughs> Listen to this. People will leave our church because of the gospel. I guarantee it. It's not a matter of maybe they will. You know why? Jesus said, wide is the path that leads to destruction. And many will go into it. Narrow is the path that leads to eternal life, and there'll be few that find it. So you know what I've made a commitment to, and I hope that you're with me tonight here. I'm almost done, I promise. I hope that this narrow path to eternal life that we found will stand on the wide road out here and say, hey, folks, come over here with us. 
This is where the good stuff is found. Come with us. You don't want to go there. This is the good stuff. And we'll spend the rest of our life pointing people to the gospel and the hope that's found in Jesus and leading them away from the wide path that leads to destruction. I hope that's the case, but it requires that we keep a pure message. Pure. Jesus alone. If you're here tonight and you think that your good works are gonna get you to heaven, please don't leave here until you're saved. If you think that your baptism will save you, please don't leave here until you know for sure that you're saved. If you think that your church membership will get you to heaven, please don't leave here until you're saved because only the blood of Jesus can save you from your sin. And friend, we live on an island in the middle of the ocean amongst hundreds of thousands of people on a path to destruction. I'm just asking you to find one this week and just give an invitation to. Invite the church, spark up a conversation. We have books on the back table called Paid in Full. It's a really short gospel presentation book. Pastor, that out to hey, I want you to give you this most important thing you'll ever read in your entire life. Paul wrote an entire book of the Bible, a whole letter to a group of churches because the message was getting polluted. He says, uh-uh, I'm gonna defend this message with my life. You and I have to have the same level of commitment to the gospel. If at any point this church begins to deviate from the truth of, of the, the Bible, from solid doctrine, and from the gospel. I want your word that you'll pack your stuff up, you'll leave here and never come again, and this place will fold. I feel that strongly about it. That every single bit of this would go up in flames before we turn our back on the gospel. That this whole thing would crash and burn before we turn from sound doctrine because without that, we've got nothing left to offer the world. Hey, you want to go to XYZ Church across town and there's three ways to have an awesome spring? Have fun. Don't take life seriously. Be awesome. You know, these are actual outlines from churches today. If that's what you're looking for, this is not the right place. If you want to be involved in kingdom work, you're in the right place tonight. Let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Let's keep reaching out to souls around us and pointing them to the hope of eternal life that's found in Jesus. Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home, please don't leave here tonight before putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. I had the opportunity to lead a man to Christ yesterday. I told him, this is not how to be a Baptist. This is not how to join our church. This is not how to have a religious experience. This is how to know for sure that you are saved, a child of God, and that's the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Let's share it with somebody this week.